0: Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning Trinity. How are you doing this morning? Welcome home. You're here, right? Now, what's funny is this, when you think of home, you know, very rarely do we get to see what your home is really like. Like if you invite me to your house, what's the first thing you do? You clean like crazy, make everything clean, because that's how you live all the time, right? You threaten your children with bodily harm, right? Don't you mess this up, because they're coming over, we got to feed them stuff, and blah, 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 and we go crazy. And listen, what is your home really like? It's comfy, there's times it's a little dicey. How many of you ever have, like, conflict in your home? How many of you have children? And your hand should be, like, waved like a banner, Right? But we know this, in our home, we, we, we work things out. There's a power in, in, in having a home. And your home. This means this, you don't have to be perfect. God does not expect your perfection. He expects you to be real. We give Him our heart and, what it, you know, we come as we are. And He makes up the rest. Welcome home. Um, when I think of home, I think of, um, I think of my father. We... Um, few years ago, my dad had one, one wish before he passed on. My mom and dad are both gone to be with the Lord now. And his wish was this. He says, I want to die at home. So we did everything we could to make sure that that could happen. Um, he wanted to die with, amongst family. You know, us being Mediterranean, the Greek stuff, we're big on family. We make sure that family, we don't just send them off, even though, you know, my dad was a, was a, a persnickety man. Perhaps a better word to use to describe him was curmudgeon. You know any curmudgeons? Uh, My dad, when I went to pick him up, my mother passed away. We brought him to live with us. And his pastor told me this. He says, TJ, every pastor has a guy that drives him bananas. He says, I am giving you my guy, and he will shortly become your guy. And little did I know that he was speaking prophetically to me, and he became my guy. Um, What was interesting is I got the privilege of, of walking with my dad for four years, him intimately being back in the house with us. And, and sometimes there were hills, you know, in valleys through that whole process. My dad uh, was starting to lose function and ability. My dad was a, a proud man, a smart man, and he always wanted to continue to be involved and to do stuff. And uh, you know, my dad was a, a foreman. He loved to be to be a manager and a foreman. He loved to tell people what to do. Do you know anybody like that in your life? They're built to just tell people what to do. Um, one day we were doing a little project at our house in Wisconsin. We are putting a wood burner stove in in the living room, and I got a couple guys from the church, and my dad wanted to be part of the whole thing, so we had the, the instructions sitting on the table, and my dad picked up some instructions. He started to read through these instructions, and my dad was oddly quiet during the building process. My dad's never quiet, but he was very quiet, very subdued, and we get this thing in. We run the pipes up for about two hours. My dad just sitting there thumbing through these instructions, and he's as quiet as a church mouse. So we get done, and the guys leave, and I sit down. I said, Dad, are you Okay. I noticed you're quiet, and you're never quiet." And he said, TJ, it finally happened. I said, what happened, Dad? He goes, I've lost my ability to read. I went, oh, no. And he goes, look, and he hands me the directions. Now, what he didn't know was when we got the wood burner, we had two sets of directions, one in English and one in Spanish. My dad had the Spanish directions, and he's trying to read them. And he goes, I lost the ability to read, and I thought, oh, and I, I let him believe that for about five minutes. <laughs> before I told him, I said, Dad, no, you just you just don't have the instructions. Um, you need them to, to do things. Isn't it weird how little we read the instructions when it comes to life? God has given us this beautiful book called The Bible. And in the Bible is the pathway to life, but very rarely do we open it up. In fact, most of the time we come to God on the backside of our poor decisions. Is it just me? And we go, oh, God, help me. And God's like, I, I wouldn't have to help you if you would just follow the book. Now, we do that as individuals. How many of you know we also do that as churches sometimes? God gave us a blueprint and a mandate for churches. He showed us how we're supposed to function. But sometimes we think that we know better than God. Have you ever thought that you've known better than God? I would love it if God would use my calendar if God would take my suggestions. You know, Lord, if you could do this my way, you know, like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way, it would be great. Can you just do that? And very rarely does God take my suggestions. So for us as churches, have you ever wondered this? Why do churches struggle so much? I think one of the main reasons we struggle so much is because we fail to read the blueprint. God laid in Scripture very clearly how the, spo- the church is supposed to function, how it's supposed to move, how we're supposed to treat people, how we're supposed to treat the world, and you know what we end up doing? Our own thing. So what does this church look like? How is the church supposed to be built? We've been talking about this this entire month in this series called Gifted. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, just to give you a precursor. I believe Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 gives us a window into how the church is supposed to be built. And I believe this, if, if, we, if we can partner with God to build a church from this blueprint, it'll be healthy and it'll grow. Why? Healthy things grow. Ephesians 4.11 says this, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, This will continue until we come to all such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Very simple. God gave us this this beautiful blueprint for how the church is supposed to function. And we know this about the church. The church is not brick and steel. The church is flesh and spirit and breath and heart. You are the church. I am the church. That tells me this. Amongst us right now, all of us possess these gifts. Some of you are here in your apostolic, some of you are here in your evangelistic, some of you are here in your pastoral. In fact, common sense would say this about a fifth of you are all to each of these things. Now, the challenge is this if you're in a church that doesn't understand it or recognize it, most of you sit dormant in the seats with your gift. There's no place for you to plug in. What do you do? You listen. Because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Listen. Is that the function of a fully devoted follower of Christ, just to listen to me talk over and over and over? Trust me, it's not as great as it sounds. Ask my children. They're like, what are you supposed to do? Well, it says it right here in verse 12. My responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church. You have an active piece to play when it comes to building up the church, and it's my job to train you and to get you into positions to be able to do that. So when we look at the early church, we clearly see the function of all five of these gifts together. The apostolic. What are the apostolic gifts? What does that do? It helps you to grow. It starts new things. They move forward. They take new ground. Missionaries are apostolic. Those that start new ministries, new things, they're apostolic. The gift is needed and it's vital. Every church is planted, usually that comes from some type of apostolic unction. And then you have the prophetic gift. What does the prophetic gift do? It guides us. It points us upward. It keeps us connected to the Holy Spirit. Those that are prophetic, they feel things. They move in those miraculous things that are just incredible. And then you have the evangelistic gift. What do those do? Those people go. They go outside of the walls of the church. They're the ones that go and they're like, man, people are dying. We've got to take the message of God's hope to them. And then you have the pastoral gift. They gather. They bring people close. They care about the needs of the body. So you have those that are evangelistic. And you have those that are pastoral. The evangelistic people, what about the people outside? And the pastoral people go, what about the people inside? Who's right? They both are. This is why the church needs to be in balance. And then you have the teacher gift. What do the teachers do? They ground us. They keep us tethered to the Word so that we don't drift away. Now, the challenge of this, if you have a teacher gift and all you do is, is, is cross the T's and dot the I's, the teacher gift can turn into religious rules and regulations very quickly. Have you ever been uh, sucker-punched by rules and regulations? So the teacher gift needs the prophetic gift. Those those prophetic people, they are the spirit that embody everything. They feel. Teachers know they feel. But the teacher gift, you know, they're essential to the prophetic gift too because how many of you know that if you're just feeling all the time and just letting the cosmos direct away, you just float away like a balloon without a string. You need the teacher gift to anchor you. The point is this, God designed the church, all five of the gifts, to operate in perfect balance. Jesus is the center. He's always the center of the church, Then all the other gifts live in tension. We live in the middle part of that tension. So last week, we talked about the apostolic gift, how important it is. This week, we take another step. We look at the prophetic gift and why it's essential to the church today. Now, when you hear that word prophetic, what do you think of? What goes through your mind? Do you think of that old guy on the street corner with a sign, you know, with the long hair, and it's dirty, and he smells, and he's got the sign that says, the end is near. Do you think of that guy? Or some of you are old enough. How many of you remember Miss Cleo on the TV? She was the psychic lady on the TV. She'd say, hey, man, I'm feeling something. Send me $50, and I'll tell you your future. You know, when you think of prophetic, what do you think of? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we get all mixed up and we don't even understand what the prophetic is and how it's supposed to function in the church. But we know this, it's one of the five gifts. God talks about it, so what does it look like for us? Well, here are some things that we know concerning the prophetic. We know this, it's a spirit-focused gift. These are the people in the church that, that feel things. They sense things. These are the things that are beyond our perceivable understanding. They know things they shouldn't know. And they have these, these, these unctions, these feelings. They see things beyond the concrete word. We know this, the prophetic gift, that stretches us. And it helps to relay God's heart for the situation now. The prophetic, you know, is always uh, moving us and stretching us. I think of a, a prophetic uh, moment in the Bible when Jesus was there. And, you know, he was there with the woman that was caught in adultery. You know, they bring the woman here. And, and, and she's there. And, you know, he's faced with the law with that thing, and the law is very clear on what should happen to this lady. And Jesus, you know, doesn't just give grace to her. Have you ever thought about this? He gives grace to all these guys that have gathered with her that all have stones in their hands. He says, whoever doesn't have sin, you throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones. She receives grace, and everybody in that circle that dropped the stone received grace. Why? The second they threw that stone against her, and, and, and her, her blood would be on their hands. You know what that is? It's grace. How did Jesus know to do that? He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, listening to God. He heard God's voice. That's what the prophetic gift does. The complementary gift to the prophetic gift is a teacher gift. Keeps them moving straight. It Keeps them tethered. We need the prophetic gift among the five, and we need the prophetic gift in operation in our churches today. Why? Because we need to know the heart of God for every situation. So we listen. And we're not, this is crazy, right? This is about our church. We actually believe that God speaks back to us. Aren't you glad that God speaks to you? What did Jesus say? My sheep know my voice. That means that you can hear God. So we look at the prophetic gift. We know this about the prophetic. It's been in operation for a really, really long time. You know, you can see, you know, prophetic unctions in the Old Testament. In fact, the earliest prophetic Words concerning Jesus were all the way back in, in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. It says this, Genesis 3:15, "I will make you and the woman enemies to each other. This is talking about Satan, the snake, the serpent, and Eve. It says this, "Your descendants and her descendants will be enemies." And listen to this, this is cool. This is in Genesis three. "One of her descendants will crush your head, and you will bite his heel." He was foretelling that Jesus' defeat of the enemy once and for all yes the enemy will bruise you but you're going to have victory in the end it's a prophetic word so why do we struggle so much with the prophetic now you know, when you think of the prophetic stuff, sometimes we are stuck, you know, in our Old Testament understanding of the prophetic. I mean, why does the prophetic look a little different than the Old Testament than in the New Testament? Even today, we have a, a tendency to view the prophetic through the Old Testament lens. I've had people tell me this before. Pastor, if somebody gives a prophetic word and it ain't right. We got to kill them. How many of you know that that's uninspiring when it comes to giving a prophetic word? Do I speak and maybe get wrong or do I die? I think TJ will be silent, Right? Beloved, it's not about the New Testament and the Old Testament. The prophetic understanding of how it functions today really deals more with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Sometimes we forget that we live in the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. The New Covenant changes everything. It changes our understanding of, of, of how this whole thing is supposed to operate. If you've got your Bibles, flip to Hebrews chapter 8 real quick. This is interesting. Listen to this. It's funny to me how we see stuff in the Bible sometimes, but we don't see it. God hides beauty in plain sight sometimes when it comes to the Word. Hebrews 8, 6 says this, But now Jesus, our high priest, has given us a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been flawless, there would not have been a need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and they led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I'll make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Look at verse 11 now. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. You and I live in a new covenant. So when prophetic words were spoken in the old covenant, it did what it was supposed to do. It pointed people to the law. And the law was given to us for what purpose? To show people where their sins were, to show them how bad they were. Galatians 3.19 says this, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was only designed to last until the coming of the child who was promised. Who was the child that was promised? Jesus. Trust me, this is going somewhere. Hang on. I know this is dry, but it's going somewhere. You're like, Pastor, we didn't want theology 101. I get it. God gave us his law through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. In short, the law was the precursor to Christ. The old covenant dealt with the law. The new covenant is about reconciliation. It's about grace. The new covenant is wrapped up in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the heart of the Father to be with us. Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and he made it possible to be reconciled with God, so then we entered the covenant of grace with that reconciliation. We celebrated that today. Have you ever thought about this? It's nuts. We celebrate the death of a man that lived 2,000 years ago. We have a cross on our stage. The instrument of his death that through the beautifulness of his sacrifice gives us life. He died. He was resurrected. And through that resurrection, we have life. We celebrate that today. It's the completion of the old covenant bringing us into the new. Romans 6.14 says this, Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live in freedom, my friend. The freedom of God's grace. Now, here's the challenge. How many times do you walk into a church and do you actually feel freedom? Most of the time, what do you feel? Remember the first time you came here? What what, what were some of the thoughts that went through your head? Oh, dear Lord. I hope... People know what they're dealing with here because the second I walk in here, them lightning bolts may come right through the ceiling. You come in here, what are people going to think of me? I don't know nothing. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. I've heard about that church. They're weird. And you get nervous, even though this is supposed to be a house of freedom, a house of grace, right? So here's the big question. What does all of that stuff have to do with the prophetic, the old covenant, the new covenant, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada? You know what it has to do with it? Everything. Our lack of understanding of how the prophetic is supposed to flow in the church really is, is anchored to our understanding of the covenants. The new covenant is how we see the prophetic now. So if the prophetic is given to us as a gift to speak God's heart to us now, what is his heart today? For us it's reconciliation we read this last week second corinthians five eighteen says this all of this is from god who reconciled himself us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that was god reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting the people's sins against them and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation so when you flow in the prophetic it's the heart of god for us to Release that in a way that brings people close to God. So what does the prophetic look like in our church today? If you've got your Bibles, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, this is super important. If you were to encapsulate the prophetic gift today in our churches, this is what it looks like. I think it's crazy. When you look at the the book of Corinthians, Um. We have an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, that's devoted to one subject, the prophetic and how it's supposed to flow. How many of you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? It's about what? It's about love. It's a love chapter. Woo! Right? We all remember the love chapter, but we don't remember the prophetic chapter, do we? Even though it's right next to it, baby. 1 Corinthians 14, this is how the prophetic is supposed to flow in the church. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So, Paul is laying out for us the gift of tongues. Now, when you talk about tongues and interpretation, that's part of a corporate gift, but that's also something that you receive with the Holy Spirit that is a personal gift. The Holy Spirit inside of you. Speaking and communicating to God, that's the gift of tongues. And we pray in that, we believe in it. Pastor, why do you believe in it? It's in the Word. If you don't want to believe in it, you have to change the Word. How many of you believe in the Bible? Then don't change the Word. This is not an interpretation of style and customs. This is just what the Word says. So we believe it. This is cool. you ready for this? Look at verse 3. On the other hand, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So Paul beautifully lays out for us here today a wonderful three-point sermon on what the prophetic does. Us pastors, we love when Paul does stuff like that. So what does the prophetic do in the church? How is it supposed to operate today? The first thing it's supposed to do is this. It builds us up. Prophetic words build you up, they don't tear you down. Now this is cool. The Greek word here for build up, it's not like a spiritual intergalactic term. It's a practical term used for building things. So it actually means this. Just like if you were to take brick and build a house with bricks or nail two by fours to the stuff, it's a practical nuts and bolts thing. That term builds up is talking about not this intergalactic super duper interspiritual thing. It's talking about God will use the prophetic to build up your character, to make you like him, to help you to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's the nuts and bolts of your faith. God is not just interested in all the things that you'll do, He's interested in who you're becoming. This prophetic word, to build up, is God's heart, His interest in who you're becoming, your maturity, your growth. Are you with me? Are you with me? Some of you are like speechless. You're like, oh my gosh. Where is this going? You'll be okay. Nobody, will die. Nobody in the first service died. They're fine. And they had wonderful snacks too. God builds us up brick by brick, board by board. That means this. God will speak to you prophetically for your spiritual development. He'll help you to grow along the way. Because here's the reality when it comes to the prophetic. Sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, I don't see all things in myself. Sometimes we have blind spots. The Spirit speaks prophetically through others, and again, to us through the Word and other places, to show us the things that we don't see in ourselves. Sometimes we need help like that. I remember, and I've told you this story a few years ago, I had, I had back surgery. And um, this is how much of a weenie I am. Are you ready for this? As they're preparing me for my surgery, they gave me something to calm me down before they gave me the stuff to knock me out for the surgery. The stuff that they gave me to calm me down knocked me out. They gave me this stuff, and then I woke up, and I was like, okay, Robin, if I'm ready for the surgery, she's like, you've been asleep for 10 hours. They're done. I was like, well, that not that, that special? That's great. So literally, I, rem- I remember I was laying in the hospital bed. I mean, my surgery was like eight hours. It was ridiculous. And all the pain that I was feeling before was gone. It was all gone. And I was like, this is amazing. And I remember I meant to sit up because I was so happy, and I couldn't sit up. Because in order to get to my back, they had to cut me here and cut me here, so all of the little muscle wall I had where my gut is was all cut, and it was it was bad. so I had no, I, had, I had no core strength, I had little core strength than what I had before. So then you know they, they, through recovery, to help me to regain my strength, they, they sent me to physical therapy. How many of you ever been to physical therapy? How many of you love your physical therapist? How many of you hate their guts? <laughs> mean, make you do things. I remember going to physical therapy, and again, what was weird was this. Anytime they operate on your spine and stuff like that, it's weird when they're around that place. I remember um, them getting me to walk and having to think about how to walk again. It's weird. You, know, you take that stuff for granted, having to think right, left, right, left. So I, could, I was, had to learn to do a bunch of stuff again. So I remember they had one of those big exercise balls. You ever seen those big exercise balls? I was sitting on it, and my first thing for physical therapy was just to sit on the exercise ball for 30 seconds. Just sit on it. Look at myself, sit on it. You know, I need something that's beyond rookie level here. Let's go. I can do this stuff. I was an athlete in college. I could figure this out. I made it 10 seconds. Because you sit there, and it's like core strength, and I'm like, ah, you know, and you fall on people. And then the next thing was awful. You sit there, and it was like, okay, you sit here, and for 30 seconds, pick up your right foot, pick up your left foot pick up your right foot, about 15 seconds, ah, and then you go over. See, I didn't understand where my weakness was at. And all I didn't understand where my weakness was at, I didn't know what I needed to do to strengthen those weak areas of my, so, so God brought a physical therapist into my life to show me how to strengthen the core so that I could live again, so I could walk again, so I could play golf with my kids again, and so I could heal, so I could become. Does that make sense? We all need people that are outside of us sometimes to come and import things to us. God is bent on your development. He wants you to grow. He wants you to become the person that he created you to be. This is what the prophetic does. The prophetic builds us up. It builds up those core muscles and helps you to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's not just intergalactic stuff. It's practical. Now, there's another cool thing that the prophetic does in this stuff, too. The prophetic doesn't just speak into your own personal building up, but the prophetic literally and actually imparts things into you. Gives you gifts. Gives you understanding and, and gifts to, to continue to, to walk out the call that God has in your life. First Timothy 4.14 is really cool. This is Paul talking to Timothy and reminding Timothy of who he is and this prophetic thing that was spoken into him, how it operates. It says, do not neglect the spiritual gift that you received, through the the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Don't neglect the gift that was given to you through the prophecy spoken over you. The prophetic word activates things in us too. I wonder how many gifts that we have in our lives that sit dormant because we don't have a box to allow the prophetic words of others to activate those things in our lives. We try to do everything all by ourselves on our own. And that's not how this is designed to work. God designed us to need him and to need each other. Are you with me? So the first thing is the prophetic builds us up. The second thing he does is this. The prophetic encourages us. All of us need encouragement from time to time. Now what's cool about this, this Greek word is periklesis. Does that sound familiar? The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is paraklete. So this is it's, it's from the common word, from the common root word. And it actually means this, to call to one's aid. That's somebody, we don't even realize we're calling it, but to, but to come to one's aid, to bring encouragement. This means this, the prophetic comes alongside of us when we need it the most to speak life into us, to come to our aid, to bring hope and to po- bring possibility and also to keep us on course. All of us need encouraging words from time to time. The prophetic should be that. Now, unfortunately, sometimes... In our churches, we don't use the prophetic to encourage people. We use the prophetic to uncover things in their lives. That's not the heart of God at all. I mean, there's a time and a place for all that stuff. But sometimes, prophetically, when you see things, you see things. What do you do with what you see? What do you do with the information that you're given? Even in your neighborhood. How of you ever heard a gossip before? What do you do with the words that are, that are whispered in your ear? Do you use them to pray or do you pass them along? Be careful with what you hear. The prophetic's there to encourage us. All of us need that encouragement from time to time. So we're in Wisconsin. You know our story before we came here. God didn't tell us where we were going. He just told us to move to the side. And he said, don't worry, just move to the side and I've got things in store for you. You just trust me. How many of you know that when God says trust me, that stinks? just tell me. I just want to know. So we step to the side. We're going to churches all over, literally all over the United States. People are calling us, East Coast, West Coast, up, down, all over the place, Florida, Montana. All, where do we go, Lord? Hawaii, what do you want us to do? Blah, 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 blah. And we're checking stuff out. It feels right. I don't know what to do. And, and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, Lord, okay, if you could like, you know, ring the bell or do something, that would just be great. So one day, One of my elders in Wisconsin, Peter, calls me up. He says, TJ, he said, God just, he just showed me something for you. And I was like, great, I need something. Have you ever been there? He goes, God told me he's taking you, he's going to put you and plant you in a green land. Now, I'm in Wisconsin right now where it snows in like August. And I'm like, a green land sounds really nice. And he says, but that's not all. He said, God told me he's going to plant you in a place that will feed the desires of your heart. I was like, oh, that sounds nice. That sounds wonderful. It's a perfect fit for the desires of your heart. I didn't know what that meant. I just know that that sounds really cool. It wasn't long after that that we were contacted by you guys. And I remember we came in, and even though it was in October, everything was pretty green. And I thought, well, Lord, maybe this, this could be it. It's pretty green. It's pretty nice. But little did I know. Are you ready for this? You owned a restaurant That served ice cream. Are you tracking with me? Who does that? And what people didn't realize is how close hospitality is to Robin in our hearts. That's, we are hospitality people. Our churches are known for their hospitality. We're in Wisconsin. We were known as the coffee mint church. We have coffee mint and baked goods coming out of our ears because we believe in the power of food. It brings people together. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. It was a perfect fit, and God brought us here. Now, Peter didn't understand all those things. He didn't see a cheeseburger. He just knew it was where we are supposed to be. I mean, it was beautiful. I remember the first day I was here, Dave Deal comes up the stairs, and he goes, would you, would you like some ribs? There's only one answer to that. Yes. He said, would you like a full rack? I go, yes. Would you like all the fixings that I... Yeah. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? The prophetic picks us up and it points us to God's plan. It's just what it does. It's encouragement. He comes alongside of us. Now, with that encouragement, to come alongside also implies this. The prophetic also guides us and it gives us direction. God encourages us with the guiding and the direction. He comes in and he'll come with a little, you know, little nudge. Have you ever been nudged by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever had a prophetic nudge? Those are the things that come to give us confirmation of the road that you're walking down. I've told you the story before, you know, when I was, a, I'm in camp as a kid and I'm watching this guy finishing preaching on a stage and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. It's the first time I've ever really heard him speak to me. He said, TJ, someday you'll do that. And I went, Pfft. there's no way. And I don't even get way out and somebody taps me on the shoulder. It says, God just sent me over here to tell you someday you'll do that, bye. I'm like, what? It's the Holy Spirit. It's a prophetic word. Now, what's interesting is this. How many of you know that sometimes God speaks things, but life has a way of sucking what God spoke out, and you forget? I remember it was about a year later, and I was planning on where I was going to go to school. I was going to go play football at a school, local, and, or I was going to, you know, my mom wanted me to be a vet, or I was going to go into ministry, and I didn't know what to do. And and that word that I'd been given was a little cloudy. And I remember I'm at at my home church, and a lady comes up to me who doesn't, you know, I'm I'm quiet. mom wasn't quiet, but I'd worship, and I was off to the side. Nobody knew anything about my life or any of that stuff. A lady comes up to me. She says, I just saw a vision of you speaking to thousands of people. And I was like, I'm just a chunky Greek kid from Pittsburgh. She's like, I'm just telling you what I saw. And she goes, you'll speak here too, by the way. And all those things came to pass. That was the nudge that I needed that pushed me toward Southeastern University to do what I'm doing now. God reminding me of what he called me to be, even sometimes when it's foggy to me. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that reminds you and nudges you? That's not like I'm done with you, get out of my face. That's the God that we serve. He encourages us. That's what he does. Now, what's funny is this. We read the Bible. How many of you have ever read the book of Acts? Some of you have read the book of Acts many times. We're going to read a passage in the book of Acts. And you're probably going to be like, I, I don't remember reading that. But it's in there. It's like, what is it, Ragu or Prego? I forget. Remember, it's in there. The old commercial. It's in there. This is the encouraging part of the prophetic in the early church. Listen to this. Acts 15 30 says this The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of all the believers. And delivered the letter. Verse 31. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Look at verse 32. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. What did the prophets do? They spoke at great length to do what? Encourage and strengthen. By the way, you know what that word strengthen is in the Greek? To build up. To encourage and strengthen their faith. They stayed for a while, and then all the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with the blessing of peace. It's vital. It's important. Notice that they didn't say these prophets came in and spoke to them, and, 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 and their lives were laid bare, and everybody was hopeless, and everybody died and went to heck. What's the prophetic supposed to do? Build you up to encourage you. So we know this. The prophetic builds us up. We know the prophetic encourages us. The last thing the prophetic does, and this is cool, is that it consoles us. Brings us comfort. This Greek word actually means this to speak with tenderness. This is when God comes and He whispers in your ear and He points you to hope. The difference here is what happens when a mother comes to console her child. You know, when I read this, this is going to sound, and don't make fun of me. You can't make fun of me because we're in Jesus' house, it's a house of grace. When I read this, and I started to do my research, this is a psalm that popped in my head. (laughs) I don't know if it's God, but I'm going to sing it anyway because I just just, just—it's right. I pictured, you know, me Jesus, me sitting on Jesus' lap, and Him looking at me, going, "Don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right." Right? That's what this is. Sometimes we get stuck in the muck. You get lost in the weeds, and God says, "No, no, no. Don't worry." everything's going to be fine. I remember my mother doing that and then shoving a cookie in my mouth, right? That's what Italian mothers do. Have a cupcake. It's probably going to be fine, Mom, right? That's what he means here. God speaks to us prophetically sometimes and he finds us in our lowest places not to leave you there, but to build you up and to lift you up, to comfort you, to say, I see you. I'm the God that sees you and you're not going to stay here forever. I think one of the best examples of this in Scripture is the life of Paul. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. Before he was, you know, wrote three-quarters of the New Testament, it was a fireball for Jesus. He was the greatest persecutor of the church that the world had ever seen. He thought he was doing right, but he wasn't. Some of you know the story. You know, Saul is on the road to Damascus, getting ready to find Christians and take them out. And he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus blinds him. He puts him on the ground, and he says, what's going on? And he says, Saul, it's me, Jesus, the one that you persecute. And it just rocks him. He's this encounter that rocks him. And then when he gets up, when it's all done, he's blind. The guys that he's with, they have to lead him somewhere, and he doesn't know what to do, and he is, he is just rocked because all the stuff that he thought was right is wrong, and now he doesn't know what to do. So the Bible tells us this. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. You've got to be rocked to not eat or drink for three days. And he's there waiting. And God decides to speak to Paul, but he just doesn't do it audibly to him. He sends somebody with a prophetic word to speak something. This is Acts chapter 9. It says this, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, the, uh, uh, coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Now, how you, that, that's cool for God to say, i got a message for you, I'm going to send you this. Now, here's the challenge with this whole thing. Ananias has heard about Saul, and he knows who Saul is and what Saul does, and uh, Ananias has a, a slight problem with God's plan. Now, thankfully, nobody in this room ever has a challenge with God's plan, Right? We're like, God, everything's hunky-dory. Let's just do it. You know the difference between Ananias and us? He vocalized it. Most of us just keep it to ourselves as if God can't read our minds. Like he doesn't know. If I'm just quiet, God will never know. He knows. Listen to what he says here in verse uh, 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. A good verse 15. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he ate some food and regained his strength, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. What an incredible prophetic story. Can you imagine Saul at his Lois getting visited by Ananias to console and to lift him up? That's what he does. So this is what the prophetic does for us. It builds us up. It encourages us. It consoles us. Now, I want to do something different now. Yeah, we know how the prophetic operates, but have you ever wondered, what do you do when somebody gives you a prophetic word? We don't talk about that too much, do we? I mean, what do you do if somebody comes up to you and says, listen, you're to go to the, to the coals and find a, a blue and brown and pink polka dot shirt and you're supposed to wear that uh, down at the target, thus saith the Lord. I mean, if they say, say thus saith the Lord, you've got to do it, right? Because we know that that's the tag where if they say that, you can't say anything about it, right? Eh, wrong. Not only does the Bible tell us what the prophetic is supposed to look like, the Bible also shows us what our approach to prophetic words should be. This is very important. If you got, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you've got your Bible, look at this. I want you to know what you believe. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is super important. This is how you and I are supposed to approach you know, the prophetic when it's brought to us. It says this, don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said and hold on to what is good. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. This is not rocket science, but this is what's been given to us as believers to be able to test the prophetic words. So don't scoff at prophecies. What's the first thing we have to do? You welcome the prophetic word. Don't just discount it because that person may be nuts. How many of you know that God can use a donkey to speak to you? Some of you have been used like a donkey to speak to others. Except we don't use the word donkey, but we're not going to talk about that, right? You welcome the prophetic. You open your heart to the possibility that God could be speaking to you through it. I've had people speak prophetically to me. Some believers and some not. They just didn't know what they were saying. What does the Bible say in in Joel 2.20? In the last days, he will pour his spirit on how much flesh? I can't hear you. Oh, God can use anything to speak to you. So you welcome the prophetic. Don't despise the prophetic. The second thing you do is this. You weigh the prophetic. Test it. Does it line up against Scripture? If a prophetic word is given to you and it doesn't line up against Scripture, it's not a prophetic word from God. Does it resonate with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you? If somebody speaks something to you and your spirit's all a mess up, you know, peace is is, is your compass. And you back up and say, eh, call your your, your spiritual friends, you know, I was told this, what do you think? Let's pray about it. Let's seek it out. You have the opportunity to see if what's being spoken to you is from God or not. You weigh it out. And then the last part is this. You walk it out. Do you see what it says in the end? It says, hold on to what is good. So you know what that infers? There may be parts of this that, that, that aren't good. You just got to hold on to the good and you get rid of the bad. Sometimes, you know what the weird part is? It's the package that God delivers the prophetic to you in. One of the most powerful prophetic words that I was ever given was a guy in our church in Denver that we called Crazy Matt. The first time I met Crazy Matt, he walked into the church and he punched me in the face. How much grace do you have in your life? Do you have enough grace to have somebody punch you in the face? And then become part of your church family? Now, he didn't punch very hard, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Grace. That means this. Sometimes people may speak things to you, and it may start out, God, and it may end up as Pete or Sally or Sue. You take it to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever's in here that's of you, let me take. You eat the meat, you spit out the bones. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. we become too focused on the little things that we think discredit it all. Do me a favor, beloved, let those things go. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to hold on to and just flush the other things. I've had people that have spoke some powerful words to me. I've had people that have spoke some great words and they should have stopped talking. You ever have people like that in your life? So again, we welcome it, we weigh it, we walk it out. Now I'm excited because today we're going to do something that we don't often do. I didn't speak super long today. Some of you are like, we didn't notice. Today, we're going to put into practice a little bit about, about what we learned today. I'm going to ask uh, uh, you know, Pastor Alex, you come up, bring your team. they are going to put some chairs up. We're going to do a thing this morning called encouraging words. Very simple. We're going to give God an opportunity to speak to us, and then we're going to have the opportunity to weigh what He speaks to us, if it's God or not. So we're going to have teams of elders that are up here and prayer people that are up here and there's just going to be two little chairs. There's going to be two chairs sitting here of an elder and a prayer person. And then a chair for you if you'd like an encouraging word. Maybe you need prayer for something. They'll pray over you and they'll bless you. Maybe you're here and you know what? You know, maybe you, you, something's happening, you know, in a job or whatever it is. Again, and they're just going to pray this simply. Lord, if you have something for us to, to, to give a brother or sister, they're just going to, they're going to give it to you. And if God doesn't give them anything, they're just going to pray and bless you. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I can tell you this. We did this in the first service. And people were lined up on both sides. It was absolutely nuts. And some of the stories that people told me already made me cry. God sees you, even though sometimes you don't think that he does, but he does. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads. I just want you to prepare your heart. Find that thing right now that, that's been, plag, you know, been plaguing you, whatever it is just talk to the holy spirit right now say holy spirit if you have something for me that you want to speak to me that'll help me that'll build me up encourage me console me and move me closer to you lord god i give you permission and i'm open lord to what you may speak to me allow him to just prepare the posture of your heart for this now what we're going to do is this just you know if you feel led just come on up sit down it's three minutes or less you're not gonna be here for 20 minutes just three minutes and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Now, one other thing we're going to do is if you're going to come up, if the seats are full, just big lines down the sides here. Um, that way it's a little bit more in order. First service was a little chaotic and people were, were back there. So I'm going to pray and then after I pray, I'm going to release the rest of the service. If you've got to go, you can go. If you want to stay and get an encouraging word, you come and get an encouraging word. Holy Spirit, right now, we give you permission, Lord God, to speak to us. I pray that, Father, you'd push away fear. And Father, I pray that, God, you'd help us to uh, be in perfect alignment with your heart. I pray that God, those that have been seeking your heart would find you today. I pray that God that you would speak powerfully and you would impart beautiful gifts into us as we seek you. In your name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.